Good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship. It's so good to be worshiping together. I love this time of year for all kinds of reasons. One of the reasons is this is the time of year a lot of really good movies uh, get released, or at least highly anticipated movies. It's yet to be determined if they're actually any good, right? And so that was the trailer for The Last uh, Jedi, uh, the next installment in the Star Wars saga coming soon to a theater near you. I was doing some research on Star Wars, the franchise. How much money do you think they've made? I was looking up, when you add together box office revenue, revenue that comes from DVD rentals and sales, a revenue that comes from franchise fees for all sorts of things like clothing lines and toys and video games and you name it all, $39 billion worth of revenue. That's why they're able to do such great special effects apparently, right? $39 billion to work with. Anyway, I did not show you that scene so that Jared could play with the audio system here and see how we can make the floor shake. I played it because of what Ray says at the end of uh, that trailer. She says, I need someone to show me my place in all this. I need someone to show me my place in all this. Have you ever been there? Uh, this weekend was the seventh grade girls retreat for Power Life, and they are here in worship with us today. And we did the song, Your Love Awakens Me, for the leaders who were with them all weekend and <laughs> didn't get any sleep, right? So uh, we're glad that the seventh grade girls are here with us, showing us how to worship and praise the Lord with all kinds of energy. The seventh grade boys had their retreat a couple of weeks ago. Eighth grade girls, eighth grade boys will have a retreat coming up. But Power Life, this ministry to middle school students and Ignition, our ministry to high school students, we take it very seriously because those ages, middle school and high school, that's one of those times in life we're really trying to figure out what's our place in all of this. Um, the bad news for you seventh grade girls is it doesn't end once you get out of high school. It continues. We're, we're, there's all sorts of reasons and times and circumstances in our life where we find ourselves kind of questioning this and, and wondering this. What's my place in all this? Who's going to show me my place in all this? And a husband and wife want to have children and the pregnancy doesn't come. Or when you're, it's 2.45 in the afternoon and you're sitting in your cubicle wondering, what must it be like to have a job that you actually are excited about? Or when you're caring for an aging parent or an aging spouse or, or when your parents die or when a divorce happens and a marriage ends or when you get a health diagnosis, a health scare, or there's chronic pain, or on and on and on. Or what about when you're in line once again to pick up your kids from school, and you find yourself starting to add up all the minutes, all the hours. I mean, how many days does it actually end up being that you've spent in line waiting to pick up your kids from some activity or school event? And we find ourselves in these, if we're honest, I think we would all admit we have times in our lives where this is kind of where we are. I need someone to show me my place in all this. It happens to a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Jacob. And when we get to 2018, the, the new uh, calendar year, new preaching schedule, we're going to be digging into uh, some of the stories of, of the family of the nation of Israel. Uh, we're going to dig deeply into it. Today, I just kind of want to touch on the, the family tree of the family history of the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, one of the names of God, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God refers to himself this way sometimes. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham is married to Sarah, and God promises them they're going to be the parents of a great nation, and then they have to wait for the child to come. And as they are waiting, they lose patience. 
And so Sarah has this great idea. She says to her husband, how about you and Hagar hook up and see if you can have a baby that way? And Abraham, because he's not very smart, says, sure, that sounds like a good idea. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) All kinds of things go wrong, just FYI. Um, So Abraham and Hagar have a son named Ishmael. And Sarah is jealous, and she's hurt by it, and uh, she despises all the attention that Abraham is giving to this other woman and, and to her son, Ishmael. Eventually, Sarah has a son, Isaac, and Sarah basically kicks Hagar and Ishmael out of the family. Isaac gets married to a woman named Rebekah. They have twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Twin boys, but Esau is born first. Some, sometimes, as I'm talking with people, they're like, I don't know, I don't really read the Bible. I don't get a whole lot out of it. I mean, I, is it trustworthy? Why should I believe what's written in the Bible? Here's why you should believe what's written in the Bible. God refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you maybe would imagine that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be depicted as heroes, heroes of the faith, great men of honor, holy, you know, righteous dudes, not so much. I mean, they, they do a lot of really good things, but they also mess up all over the place in head-scratching ways, in ways that will make you feel like the dysfunction in your family is nothing compared to what these guys are doing. So one of the ways the Bible shows Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob messing up is as fathers, they pick favorites. They have more than one uh, kid, and they pick a favorite child. So Abraham, it's Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac, it's Esau. And, and this one kind of hits home for me because the Bible says Isaac loved Esau because he's outdoorsy. I'm not really outdoorsy. Esau is going out and he's killing animals and bringing them home and they're having barbecues and they just love it, dad and son together. And I'm like, I can't do that. Anyway, this says Rebecca loves Jacob. And so this family dynamic is just messed up from the get-go. Uh, parents with favorite children and that sort of thing. Uh, Esau is born first. Any firstborns in the room? You don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want. It's too late now. Uh, it was really, really special and important in the Old Testament to be the firstborn. Right? You got everything if you were the firstborn. That doesn't happen nowadays, right? Uh, so um, Jacob was like, he, he was close. The Bible says he's born holding on to the heel of his brother. So close, but he's still second. And so he doesn't get the good stuff that his brother Esau gets. He lives his whole life. The the word Jacob in Hebrew sounds like uh, the word for grasp or grab or deceit, and that's how Jacob lives his life, trying to take hold of what his brother has, trying to trick people into giving him what belongs to his brother because of the way the system that's set up. And I was thinking, is is there anything in our world, our modern kind of contemporary world, that would give us kind of a little idea of what that must have been like? And I remembered something. There was an engagement that happened this week. Did you hear about this engagement that happened? Yeah. Prince Harry is engaged to Meghan Markle from Suits, if you watch that TV show. And there's going to be a royal wedding at some point. And for a lot of people, that's more important than the Super Bowl. I don't understand it, but a lot of people think that way. So here's what I was thinking. Harry is the second born, right? William, first born. What if Harry went to his dad, Charles, and says, come on, dad. I know William's the firstborn. I know he's next in line to be the king, but you and I both know I would make a much better king than this guy. I mean, are you kidding me? So why don't you just announce to everyone, Dad, that even though I'm not the firstborn, I'm the next in line to be king. Could you imagine the news coverage if something like that were to happen? And the, the gossip and the way... It would, it would have been crazy. 
That's what Jacob does in the, in the Old Testament. Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the grabber, the grasper. He tricks his brother into giving him the birthright. He tricks his dad into giving him the blessing that's supposed to go to the firstborn, that's supposed to go to his brother Esau. And it throws the family into turmoil. So Esau, as you can imagine, is upset. He's so mad he wants to kill his brother. And Rebecca, the mom who loves Jacob, is fearful for the son that she loves. So she says to him, as much as I don't want this, you need to run for your life. And that's what Jacob does. He leaves home. And just try to imagine everything that's happening in his life. He finds himself in this place where he no longer has a home. He no longer has a family. Everything that he's been living for, his hopes and dreams, everything that he's been working toward, it's all gone. And he literally finds himself in the middle of nowhere in the Arabian desert. And he goes to bed one night. The Bible says he lays down with a rock for a pillow. And as he's falling asleep, don't you think he's wondering, I need somebody to show me my place in all this? And then God shows up. And in a dream, God promises Jacob, one day, one day you will return to your home. One day you will have a family. One day all the people on earth are going to be blessed through you and through your descendants. That's a pretty cool promise. I think a lot of us would like to hear God make that kind of a promise to us and, and to our family. But God says to Jacob, there's even as great, as powerful, as precious as all those promises are, there's something even more important, something better that I have for you. We read about it in Genesis chapter 28, verse 15. It's on the screen. Let's read this out loud together. What's more, I am with you. One more time. What's more, I am with you. I've got all these promises for you, all these good things that are going to happen in your life. And more important, even better than all of that is this truth, this reality, I am with you. So one of the things we learn from the story of Jacob is follow your heart, per pursue your dreams, achieve, succeed, do all of those sorts of things. But just remember, if God is not with you as you're working in that direction, what's the point? The flip side of it is if God is with you, if you can trust that, if you can believe that, if, if you can live in that kind of reality that God is with you no matter what, you're never alone, you're, even if everybody else abandons you, God never abandons you, now all of a sudden everything matters. Now all of a sudden everything can have meaning and purpose. You can be sitting in your cubicle at 2.45 in the afternoon, not in your dream job, but have a sense of meaning and purpose because God is with you. You can be caring for an aging parent. You can be in line at, at the drop-off or pick-up line at school, and it can have meaning and purpose because God is with you. It's a game-changer. Jacob wakes up from his dream, and look what Jacob says. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. God promises to be with him, and when Jacob wakes up, he realizes that's been the reality the whole time. God has been with me the entire time. I've just been going my own way. I've been trying to make it happen. I've been trying to take things into my own hands and, and make it happen on my own rather than in God's way and in God's timing. 
Surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. It changes everything for Jacob and it can change everything for you and me. When we find ourselves in that place where we need someone to show us our place in all of this, here's the good news. We find our place when we become aware God is in this place. We find our place when we become aware God is in this place. Whatever this place is, wherever this place is. Christmas means a lot of things, but one of the things Christmas means, God wants you to know your place. God wants you to show your place, show you your place in the story that he is writing for your life, but also for the entire world. So God's writing this story in Jacob's life, and the story continues to unfold uh, through his family, and it is an epic story, story of triumph and tragedy, of heroes and villains, of capture and release. And every chapter in this story points to Christmas. Every chapter in the story points to Jesus, the ultimate hero, the ultimate triumph, the ultimate rescue. In our Bible reading for today, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, tells people this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come. The Messiah is going to come. Rescue is coming. A hero is coming. Here's how the prophet Isaiah talks about it. She will give birth, the virgin will give birth to a son, And we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We find our place when we become aware God is in this place. God is with us, Emmanuel. How might your life change if you actually believed this is your reality? God is with you. It's not an idea. It's not something nice to think about during the holiday season, but this is the reality of life. God is with you. How would it change if the reality of Emmanuel, you knew it in the midst of whatever darkness you might be facing or going through? How how could the reality of Emmanuel make a difference in your life when it comes to your doubts, your fears, your worries? Uh, In last year's edition to the Star Wars saga, Rogue One, which isn't technically an episode, but anyway... That's for all of you Star Wars freaks and nerds. Anyway, uh, this movie that came out, a Star Wars movie that's not really a Star Wars movie, apparently, there's a guy in it by the name of Chirrut, and he's my favorite character because he's a blind, itinerant preacher. And you got to, you know, if preachers are in movies, you got to love it. He's part of something called the Guardian of the Wills, and Chirrut knows a little something about Emmanuel. Take a look. Chirrut is a believer He has faith that the force is with him, and he has to remind himself of that on a pretty regular basis. The force is with me, the force is with me, the force is with me. And you may be a believer. You may have faith that Emmanuel is not just an idea, it's true, it's it's the reality of our existence, and we still have to remind ourselves on a regular basis, the Lord is with us, God is with us, God is here, Emmanuel. Because this world does a pretty good job of convincing us God is not with us. At the end of that scene, Chirrut says, there is more than one sort of prison, and some of us carry our prisons around with us wherever we go. The prophet Isaiah says, Emmanuel is coming, God's going to be with us, God's going to come to us and join us in this life. And one of the things that happens when Emmanuel is here is prisoners get set free. Isaiah talks about it this way, talking about Jesus, the Messiah, you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. 
What dark dungeon are you sitting in these days? What sorts of things are holding you captive? All kinds of ways we are held captive. We're held captive by, I don't know, destructive, unhealthy behaviors and actions that sometimes become addictions in our life. We can be held captive by destructive thought patterns, self-defeating thought patterns. We can be held captive by the pain of grief and loss. We can be held captive when we look around at everybody else and it's like, man, they've figured out their place in all of this. Maybe I'll find my place if I just follow the crowd, if I do what everybody else is doing. But that ends up becoming this vicious cycle where we end up feeling trapped because now we're not living the life that God has planned for us. We're living someone else's life. This vicious cycle happens to the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. It's this vicious cycle of capture and release, slavery and freedom. It happens for the people as an entire nation, but it also happens to individuals who are part of the nation. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and these three fathers who pick favorite sons, right? Abraham picks Isaac, and Isaac picks Esau, and Jacob hates that. He wants, he spends his life trying to get what his brother has, especially the affection, the love of his father. And even though Jacob hates that when he's the son, when he becomes a father, he can't help but do the same thing. Kind of carries on the family business. And so he has 12 sons, but his favorite is Joseph. And again, the 11 brothers are angry about this. They're angry at their dad, but they don't know how to be mad at their dad, so they take out their anger on their brother. And so they go to their dad one time and they say, they fake their brother's death. Can you imagine doing that? Faking your brother's death? They said, wild animals came and got him. He's dead, dad. Really what they did, they sold him in slavery to Egypt. And so he ends up, Joseph ends up in the home of a man named Potiphar. He's a slave there for several years. Eventually he gets wrongfully accused of sexual misconduct and thrown in prison. He's in prison until he's 30 years old. He's sold into slavery when he's 17 years old. So for 13 years, for 13 years, Joseph's in captivity, either as a slave or as a prisoner. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 39, uh, one of the places. It's kind of a longer story than that. But this captivity is kind of summed up in Genesis 39. And four different times in that chapter, the writer of the book of Genesis wants us to understand during those 13 years that Joseph is in captivity, God was with him. God was with Joseph while he was in captivity. While he's in captivity. Now, there's a lot of Joseph's story that I like. I like that God shows up and rescues him after 13 years. I like that God helps Joseph ascend to this place where he is second in command in the government of Egypt, which was at the time the largest government in the world. So he's the second most powerful man in the world aside from the Pharaoh. And I like that from the age of 30 until the age of 110, things go really well for Joseph. Here's part of the story that I don't like, or, or maybe more accurately, the part of the story I don't understand. Joseph is a captive for 13 years. And the biblical writers four times, four times want us to understand the Lord is with Joseph while he's in captivity. So what, what I don't like about it or what I don't understand about it, 
I thought the idea was that God's going to come, God's going to be with us, Emmanuel, and set the prisoner free. That that's God's plan, that that's what God wants to do. So why does it take 13 years? Why does God wait so long? What is, what is he waiting for? Why can I do it after six months or, or 12 months or three weeks? Or why 13 years? Why do I know the stories of so many people in this congregation who they are waiting for something? They're in a dark place. There's something going on in your life that is painful, that hurts, that's confusing, that's dark. And where is God? Why, why do, what is God waiting for? Why doesn't God just show up, Emmanuel? God's here right now and fix things and make things better right now. Part of the answer, part of the answer is God understands as human beings, we love shortcuts. And God loves us too much to allow us to take shortcuts in life. And part of what you discover as you dig into God's word, as you read the stories of how God relates to people throughout all time, as you start to say yes to following after Jesus and, and living this life as a follower of Jesus, one of the truths you start to see more clearly all the time is this powerful truth. Love is patient. Love is patient. And we're not very patient. But God is, and God loves us with this patient, steadfast love. Did you know there's a lot of road construction going on in Ankeny? Any of you notice that? All over this stinking town. Now, the corner of uh, Interstate, the corner, uh, Interstate 35 and, and First Street, there's a big construction project going on. And I pay attention to that because that's kind of close to where we live. We use that interchange a lot uh, in our family. And so they're doing some really good and important things. They're widening the number of lanes that there are on the interstate. They're putting in something called a diverging diamond interchange, which is going to be wonderful when it's done. And so I looked up to see when is this construction going to be done because it's been going on for a while now. 2020, three years from now, the construction is scheduled to be completed. In the meantime, I'm in captivity. <laughs> at least that's one way of looking at it, right? There are other ways of looking at it. In the meantime, I have the opportunity to practice patience. In the meantime, I have the opportunity to dig into this idea. It's under construction. It's under construction. It's not just road projects that the DOT is up to where things are under construction. My life is under construction. Your life is under construction. Our relationships is under construction. It's a biblical principle, a biblical idea. Read this verse with me, Philippians 1, verse 6. It's on the screen. Let's read it out loud together. I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Uh, you're not finished yet. God's not done with you yet. And if you want to look and see when is the scheduled construction going to be complete for our lives, I've got some good news and some bad news for you. It'll be complete one day when you die or when Jesus comes back, right? Whichever comes first. This is a long construction project. It might not feel like good news, but it is good news. God's not done with you yet. There, there's an, a new step, a new growth area for you and for your relationships. God's not done with you. And, and our, I think our temptation might be to look at this verse and say, yeah, God's not done. God's got this. I don't have to do anything. God's the one. God began the good work. God's going to continue the good work. And God's the one who will finish the good work. It's, all, it's God's job. The only problem with that is one chapter later in, in Philippians 2, Paul says, 
work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's a partnership. We are part of the construction process in our own lives. And there's a role, there's what God does, and there's what we do. And part of the challenge of being followers of Jesus is to figure that out. What is God's responsibility and what is my responsibility? What are the, what's the prison that I'm in? I mean, that's part of the work for you to do is figure out what are the ways in which behaviors, decisions, attitudes, it's holding you back from the life God wants from you, the fullness of life that God wants for you, and what are the tools that are going to be necessary for you to use to work on that construction project, the project of salvation and healing and restoration and redemption, God transforming you into the person God dreamed up when God thought of you. So there's work for God to do, there's work for us to do, we do it together as a construction project, and make no mistake about it, it's really hard work. It's difficult, challenging work. So much so, the writers of uh, the Bible, because they want us to understand what is at stake in this construction project, sometimes they use the language, metaphors, imagery of warfare when they're talking about this construction project. Second Corinthians is one of these places. Paul writes, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. It's the language of rebellion. It's the language of rebellion. And one of the things the biblical writers want us to understand, the force is with us, yes, and there's a dark side to the force. God is with us, Emmanuel, and there are forces of evil and forces of darkness at work in this world and in our lives trying to stamp out the light, extinguish the light. Get, get rid of all that is good. And we are foolish if we forget that. So there's a dark side. We can't forget that, but that's not our focus. The focus is Emmanuel. The focus is a God who is a light to guide the nations, which means a, God to, uh, a light to guide us out of dark dungeons and into freedom. And one of the things you start to see is this real strange and beautiful and powerful thing that's going on God is recruiting us to join this rebel army to take down the dark side. Jesus, a whole bunch of people gathered together to hear him preach. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things Jesus, who calls himself the light of the world, he says to the people who are gathered there, you are the light of the world. Like God's going to shine the light of his love and grace into this world and into our lives for our sake, but also so that through us, we can shine the light of God's love and grace to the world around us for the sake of the world around us. That's why we have an Advent project this year called A Voice of Hope. Because there's some unspeakable darkness going on in this world. War-torn regions of Africa where there are things happening to children that we just can't even wrap, begin to wrap our hearts and minds around. Trafficking and uh, child soldiers and the way in which you know, they, what they have to do, how they drug up these kids to become child soldiers, it's just awful, awful stuff. And so we're like, God's calling us to be rebels, taking on the dark side. Read about this project, pray about this project, see how God might be asking you to be a part of making a dent in the darkness. You heard in the Hope 360, the, the guy said, 1.3 million people, have, families have been displaced because of violence because of the weapons of this world, right? 
And so what would you do if your family got displaced because of violence? We have the opportunity to make a difference, to, to shine a light. I was thinking about this recently because it's not just Africa where this is going on. It's not just the Middle East where refugee crisis is happening. In places like Burma in Asia, this is going on. Uh, yesterday we went downtown Des Moines, there's a building called the Polk County Justice Center, and yesterday was Adoption Saturday, and people from this church and friends of ours, I mean, hundreds, hundreds of people were there because so many adoptions were happening. We were there to support our friends Mike and Olivia, who adopted three refugees from Burma. Uh, these children, uh, two and a half years ago, because of the trauma that their mom has been through uh, because of violence and all sorts of just horrible, horrible things, she was unable to be a, a fit mom for her kids. And so the state had to step in and say, we need to put, get them out of the home in somewhere else. And Mike and Olivia opened their house for these three kids. And over the course of uh, their time with Mike and Olivia, they started thinking about moving toward a place of adoption. And there's all kinds of obstacles along the way. Obstacles, I don't know, just things that have to happen. So what, what the state wants, what the system wants, is to keep families together, if possible. And so we kept hoping that maybe the mom could get better, or maybe there would be someone else in the family who could care for them and keep them in the family. And, and so we would get together with Mike and Olivia, and there would be these, we don't know what's going to happen. And we think it's moving this direction, and then something would happen. No, it seems like it's moving another direction, and we don't know if we should hope. We don't know how we should be praying. It's just waiting, waiting, and more painful waiting. Until finally we got to the point where yesterday they were able to adopt these three children. Just this powerful, powerful thing. A, making a small dent in the darkness. The kind of violence and trauma these three kids have been through in refugee camps. And even here in the part of Des Moines where they were living, where so many refugees are living. It's just dark. And we have the opportunity to, to make a difference. God is recruiting us be part of this rebel army. And what weapons do we use? Not the weapons of the world. The, the weapons we use, follow after Jesus. Follow after Jesus. What does Jesus do? He lays down his life for the sake of others. What does Jesus do? He's the most powerful man who ever lives, and he willingly becomes the suffering servant. And he asks us to pick up our cross and to follow him and make dents in the dark places of this world. Apostle Paul writes about it this way. Let's read this out loud together. Just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace rules because Jesus rules. It can feel like the darkness is winning sometimes, can't it? And when it feels like the darkness is winning, our temptation can be to take up the weapons of the world. But we're called time and again to take up the weapons of hope. Hope in a God who does not disappoint. Hope in a God who keeps his promises. One more clip from Star Wars and then we'll eat together. Take a look. Rebellions are built on hope. Shouldn't we make a sign out front that says that? <laughs> Rebellions are built on hope. Ah, and it's true. It's true. The empire has the means of mass destruction, they said. The kingdom of God has the, the means of mass construction. 
as we follow after Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel. The prophet Isaiah says Emmanuel's coming and then the people wait and they hope for 700 years, generation after generation, waiting and hoping, is God gonna keep his promise this time? And God did, God pulled through. Sometimes it feels like it's the last minute when God pulls through. God always pulls through. Jesus is born and he lives and he casts the vision for this new kind of life, life in the kingdom of God. And it was such a threat that people killed him. 